0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Palmer Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Hope you're all keeping safe and well uh, during this pandemic we're all going through right now, and taking care of yourselves. Um, just want to um, acknowledge that we're all going through that right now. We're actually going to talk about that today. I've got two special guests today. Uh, one has been on the show before. Um, and another was a new guest. So welcome, uh, Maria French and Barry Taylor. Thank you. know, you not been on
1: James' podcast?
2: No. Yes. Really?
0: No. Wow. I know. It's been a, it's been, I've been wanting to, to, to have Barry on for a long time. <laughs> it's just never never quite happened. But um, I'm glad you're here now. And um, Maria and Barry work for this organization called H&Co. Um, who are kind of doing a lot of work on innovation and imagination for 21st century faith, according to their Instagram page. So...
2: Um... <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but they are doing some really great stuff during this pandemic um, and doing a lot of videos and a lot of work around talking about what this pandemic means for the church for culture for for us as people so we're going to talk about all of these kind of things today uh, and it's going to be a really interesting discussion so yes yeah, so, so barry and um, maria what's kind of been your experience of this pandemic How has it impacted you
1: yeah great
2: question
1: <laughs> you take
0: that one off.
2: um Gosh, you know, it's, it's impacted us like it's impacted everybody, just on so many different levels, on personal levels, vocational ones, financial ones, social ones, emotional ones. Um, I had planned, I'm based out of Southern California, Barry is in London. At the moment, we're both in London, um, because I had planned to come here for two months to do some work together with him and uh, I, was, I had some other things on the agenda, jumping around in Europe to meet with some other people, and that all got canceled in light of the pandemic. And so I, I just kind of resigned myself and thinking, all right, we'll just continue to work over Zoom and FaceTime, and I'll just stay here in Southern California until this whole thing blows over. Um, but then the very next day, which was the day, of course, that the travel ban in the U.S. was taking effect, I felt very strongly that I had to be here um, so that we could continue the work and maximize our productivity. Uh, we're colleagues, we're co-creators, and we are best mates, and we have been for quite a few years now. So it just seems like a no-brainer on all fronts to just be here together and do this together. So I guess that's the biggest, biggest change about, I guess, our lives.
1: Yeah, and, the I pandemic. mean, the, the, the funny thing for me is um, I, I moved back from Southern California um, just over two years ago, and this is actually the longest time I've spent with anybody <laughs> in my space, so it's like a <laughs> pandemic to get somebody actually in my space. I've been in a kind of weird, um, not in force,
2: social distancing and self-isolating
1: well before this. <laughs> yeah, but mainly because I moved, I upgraded my life and moved back here. But uh, so it's, it's interesting. So it's, it, but it's nice that we're, we're able to uh, be together through, through all of this, because I think it's quite difficult for lots of people who find themselves completely alone um, and out of touch with, you know, family or friends or, or, or loved ones. Weirdly, my brother um, lives not too far away, but of course I haven't seen him in a month except once we came across each other out on a walk. And it's a very strange thing when you talk to someone that you kind of grew up with on the other side of the road because you're maintaining um, a socially mandated uh, distance from uh, people who are like your own flesh and blood. So it's a bizarre bizarre time. Um, And I think uh, a... a difficult time on on many levels, but I but I also think it can be. I mean, it's been kind of weirdly productive and then fallow for us.
2: well, the goal was the the number one goal to be here together was to be productive. You know, there's an eight hour difference between Southern California and London, so that's that's been difficult. So yeah, no, we've been immensely creative and productive. Yeah, this time so
0: yeah I've struggled with that I've struggled with that um, to be productive I mean I've recorded a lot of podcasts um, related, especially related ones related to the pandemic uh, because I kind of felt like a responsibility to use that use this platform to yeah. help people like what what's going on uh, Sure. so I've been productive in terms of podcasts but um, writing I haven't been productive at all really and you know it would have been a perfect opportunity for that and it's been difficult because and I said this to other people that writing for me I mean the way I write is stories and you know personal stories so writing out writing out my emotions writing out personal stories is a heavy weight especially right now Uh, whereas doing a podcast is more of a conversation so it's less emotionally draining and actually it's it has a beneficial effect because you're actually engaging and connecting with other people. So there's a big difference um, yeah. in terms of the media. I think a lot of people have felt the pressure to be
1: sort of overly productive in, the, in mm. this time. You yeah. know, there was a sense, I, especially in the first few days, if you sort of looked around social media and stuff, there were all the kind of, I'm going to do this and yeah. I'm going to do that, and finally I can get around to this and that and the other and you know there were all those memes now the time to write your book and I don't think that anybody took into account um, the emotional uh, oh, impact yeah. that, that this sort of has on everybody and also mm-hmm. the, the fact that it's one thing to say oh I'm going to shut myself away and write today um, knowing full well that the minute you decide you want to go to a coffee shop or a restaurant or get outside and see somebody, you can do it. But when it's all prohibited and you're simply by yourself, I I think it has uh, an impact. And and I think probably the the best that we can do is to just um, be however we are in a particular given moment. I mean, some people don't have the luxury because they have kids and they have to homeschool their children and some people are still working or trying to work. But um, Mm. if you're free of a particular um, schedule, you, I don't know, you know, sometimes just watching the television is the best
0: you you can do. That's true, yeah. And that's okay, I think. I think that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I've said to people, Well, I've talked about this on social media, that however you're responding to this, whatever you're carrying, whatever you need to, to do, that's okay. You know, there's no kind of there's no um, expected response you know you don't yeah. you don't have to be productive you don't um, yeah. And
2: We're, yeah, yeah and when I say we've been immensely productive I mean like on the H&Co front we've been doing work because it's the cultural work the cultural piece is like front mm. and center for us and it's what we do and there's probably I don't know what would cause us to stay silent during a pandemic in terms of the kind of work we do so we've been outputting and trying to do our best to quickly create really quality resources for people um, that we don't feel the niche, that niche is necessarily um, being, that need of niches is, is not being met yet. Um, but I think in like other ways, it has been hard because there is that emotional and mental piece of the world just shutting down. You know, I wake up every day and I'm like, I just want to go to a restaurant. I just want to go to a cafe or I just you know, want to do those things that we just absolutely cannot do. And, and that's hard. And also, maybe like we'll get into this a little bit in the podcast. You know, we we launched this course two and a half weeks ago um, based on the situation uh, called Solitude Life Lessons for an Isolated World. Just It's a four-week course. And um, you know we've been journeying with people every week to talk about the differences between loneliness and solitude the history of solitude this week we're going to be talking about the bliss of solitude and then the, the productivity of solitude but you know um, we were uh, oh man where was I going with that shoot I totally <coughs> lost my thought
0: <laughs> well <laughs> I, I, it's an edit. interesting subject <laughs> I, I'm interested in that because um I, I spoke to somebody about singleness and um, yeah. the pandemic yeah. as I recorded a, um, I don't know whether the podcast had got up before this one or after this one but um, <laughs> that's the beauty of recording podcasts <laughs> um, it's, but, but um, I recorded a podcast uh, with somebody talking about specifically being single during a pandemic and that experience and that you kind of because there was a unique set of experiences being single during a, this time, especially when you're living alone, like Barry alluded yeah, to it a minute ago. Very much, very much. Uh, and I've got a kind of weird dichotomy because I'm single and I'm technically living alone, although but I live in a house where there's other people in the house. So you know, my sister and her partner and her uh, two children are in the house, but we don't kind of see each other too much. I mean, we're quite close, but we don't see each other too much. So Sweet. and I'm an introvert, so I kind of like my alone time as well and I need it uh, so I spend a lot of time up here on my own so uh, yeah, and the loneliness often strikes I was telling my friends uh, that you know, late at night when you're going to bed you know, maybe you feel a bit down maybe you feel a bit anxious you know, maybe you want some affirmation and you don't have that uh, and yeah. it's the same when you wake up in the morning sometimes as well, you know, that's when yeah. those things can strike uh, and it is a very unique experience
2: Yeah. Oh, actually, that's what I was going to say, is that um, we've talked a lot in this course about how uh, part of the issue is not just like a chosen loneliness or like a solitude on your own terms and you kind of make your own rules. It's really a forced, obviously, isolation, a forced solitude and really a forced loneliness. And what happens is it causes you to kind of sit in some of your shit that usually the busyness of life can cover up. Yeah. or um, can address or can kind of sweep under the carpet. And so when everything kind of comes to this screeching halt, maybe those things that you haven't dealt with in years past or months past or weeks, they finally all just kind of catch up with you. And it's like, we've been talking a lot about the concept of collective grief. And it's like right now you're grieving so much. There's so much loss in society, so much loss of relationship, uh, mm. loss of a lot just because of what's mm. happening in the pandemic, not to mention you know, loss of loved ones and friends who have actually gotten sick from the virus. Um, but any loss that we've had is probably now being amplified and being called upon. You know, we've, we've spoken a lot about loneliness and um, kind of the, one of the causes being kind of uh, the existential angst, you know, staring into the abyss sort of situation and, and the busyness of life and just our everyday going about business. Um, keeps us from really having to engage with that, and when something like this happens again, it sort of all settles and sort of catches up. Yeah, what do
1: you and, think? and I think um, what's interesting to me is um, that the one thing that that is, I think, offered to us in the, in this particular moment, and, mm. and offered is a probably not the right word. <laughs> it's kind of forced upon mm-hmm. us. But but there, there there is an offering in that and, and that that is the the as as Maria just said, you know, we we're quite used to us as human beings running off into the distractions that we all use to to, to compensate for whatever anxiety or panic or fear that may may haunt us. And I I think one of the one of the things when you when you have nowhere to go there there are, there are two things that that you can really do and one is to sort of do a deep dive into the the negative side of all of that and just become even more anxious and even more panicky and and, and you know arguably there are lots of reasons given you know uh, an unknown virus sweeping the globe um, that threatens you know everybody's existence good good reason to to take anxiety to another level or there is the opportunity to face sort of anxiety in, in a different way others um you know um kierkegaard said that the the person who um, has learned to be anxious in the right way has learned the ultimate and that's a really interesting statement he was the first um philosopher to really address the whole idea of anxiety, and um, I, I, I've been thinking about that quite a lot, you know, that that we tend to think that anxiety is something that you just need to get rid of, and Kierkegaard is like, ah, actually, um, you can't get rid of it, <laughs> um, because an, an, anxiety yeah. is actually part of the human condition, I mean, who is Tillich? says you know there's an ontological anxiety you know the, the fact that non-being is not all of our futures so we all have a deep seated ontological anxiety but in times when you sort of lose lose things in times of emptiness or loss loss of meaning um, mm. there's an opportunity to kind of learn to be anxious in, in a different way and I think mm. if, you know and I, and, and I hate to make a a job or a lesson out of this, because I I, I really don't think there's any cause beyond human contingency um, connected to this whole thing, you know, and I don't like to try and make meaning out of everything in life, but I do think that um, there are opportunities to readdress some of the the ways that we handle ourselves as human beings and and to sort of face those things and, and, you know, take... Maybe it's the psychoanalytic approach where you actually accept that there's no cure, but you dig deep down into it rather than try and run away from it. And and I think maybe that's one of the things that I've been um, thinking about and and we've been talking about quite a bit. And we've also been talking about how the experience of loneliness in the modern world is a, a very different phenomenon. You know, loneliness... Um, wasn't always viewed as an emotional or existential or psychological problem. Or
2: as even connected to a relationship yeah. or a lack thereof. That's no, it was just
1: about, yeah, it's a new thing yeah. really linked to like the dawn of the dawn of the modern world. So we, you know, solitude and loneliness used to be interchangeable as ideas. And it was simply that you took time to be alone. And that was the way it was. And it was a very physical thing. Um, but in our time where we... We've gone more um, kind of emotionally and subjectively uh, into our our minds. Loneliness has become something else. And uh, again, Mm. we've been talking about how to transform loneliness into solitude and how to find pathways into the current crisis using solitude uh, as a... As a way of
0: addressing some of that stuff. That's really fascinating. Um, yeah, so much there. I mean, I it's interesting for me because I've done a lot of the last. I spent a lot of the last five years doing a lot of that, digging into my own trauma and grief and pain uh, that I'd been carrying around, and getting a lot of healing and transformation and resolution. And as a result, connecting more to myself. And and learning how to process grief and trauma um, in a healthy way. So whenever I got triggered or whenever something happened that brought that up or that was traumatic, I would have I have a way of processing that and navigating that, which it makes which, which makes it more healthy and means it doesn't control me. And what I see happening now is is that that process happening or beginning. Uh, on a cultural level it's kind of that there's the or, or at least the possibility of that because we're all grieving and we're all say we're all carrying a lot of anxiety and fear uh, and also like you say it what's happening is amplifying what's already in there as well yeah. because we're already carrying a lot of that we we all yeah. carry a lot of anxiety and fear and and grief already and this is just going to amplify that. Um, and I guess the question yeah. the question for me is, is for people, and we'll, we'll see this happen, I guess, we'll see how people respond, is whether people come out of this and choose to engage with this grief, trauma, anxiety that they're carrying, or they choose to go back to building structures around it, to hide from it, to run away from it, to ignore it, um. Uh, yeah. and that's a choice that people will have to make uh, my yeah. hope is that more people will choose to, to confront it and name it because because we'll, I think we'll come out of this and we'll realise everything has changed and we won't be able to get yeah. back to how things were And, so, yeah.
2: and I, yeah and I was just going to say you know, it, those structures that people like you just asked you know, will people run back to those structures and kind of create them to hide I don't know that those structures will be as readily available to them even if they wanted to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like you just said, and we've been saying this whole time, you know, the the myth of kind of returning back to normal or business as usual is exactly that. It's just sort of a myth. This will change everything, you know, fundamentally across the board. Um, and obviously we do a lot of work with churches and faith communities and, you know, Christians in general, trying to figure stuff out for themselves. And, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of different trends, uh, and we're trying to do some forecasting for the impact that this is going to have on the Western Church um, when you know everything sort of opens back up. So it'll it'll be interesting, but this this will change everything.
0: It absolutely yeah. will. Yeah, I I think also
1: I mean there's a tendency as human beings when we find ourselves in a difficult situation just to simply want things to go back to normal, back to the way they were and, and I think that's a very common common dynamic, something that uh, for a lot of people is all they want, all they really want is things to be like they were a month, a month ago and um, unfortunately I doubt that that's going to be the case at least for a while because it, it seems like the remedy for um, uh, a pandemic isn't just sitting inside for a couple of months and then Reverting back to the way things were. I, I, I mean, I think our our future, our public future, what, whatever it looks like, is going to look remarkably different for for a while at, at least, if not if not forever. Um, and, and I think for 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 many people, that that drive for things just to be okay will will be the main the main drive. Um, but there is opportunity to really. Um, Work towards other things, and that's that's my my hope. You know that both sort of personally, but also perhaps even uh, in in broader ways as societies. We going to look at this stuff and and take stock and take account of um, the ways in which something like this can actually help us to to make the world uh, or remake the world in in a very different way. Because obviously, you know, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, nobody's looking or stockbrokers to help, <laughs> to help exactly. this problem. You yeah. know, it's grocery workers and hospital workers and delivery people who are suddenly being called heroes. You know, It's the underpaid, the outclassed, the overlooked, people in low-paying jobs who are, are keeping everything uh, afloat. And, and I think that's something that we really have to e- examine uh, as a society. And also I think we have to examine the, the ways in which The anxieties that we feel because you know, some people say we live in an age of anxiety, and it it would definitely seem that um, anxiety and those kind of anxious disorders are quite prevalent in in our culture. and I think we have to ask ourselves not just what the personal things are, you know, we're always turning things on and making it uh, an individual's responsibility, you know, it's like suddenly we're all we're all the ones that are going to sort everything out, but but there's a larger cultural question I think as well, uh, about the way in which the world that we live in creates these anxieties. You know, you've got people um, who've been furloughed from their jobs, which is essentially fired for want of a better word, um, and they're sort of sitting around not knowing what, what the future holds, while people are making millions and millions of dollars you, you know or, or pounds or, or whatever and it um, yeah. seems to me that we have to ask some questions about the way we've prioritized the building of our societies as well but maybe that's getting too far ahead of it and maybe that won't happen I don't know I'd like to think that it would
0: yeah I, I you know, I mean I, I I'm a student of politics I did a politics degree um, I'm always thinking about impact on culture and and politi- political culture as well. And like you yeah. say, those, I think this thing about key workers and NHS staff and realising, as a culture, we've kind of woken up to how important these people are and yeah, how important yeah, it is what they so. do. I think that's a... I think on some level we kind of already knew, but I think this has just blown it up and everyone is aware of it now and everyone will... I think people will will, will expect some kind of um, action from government to reward that one when when kind of this the kind of the the curve is flattened yeah. and things are slightly improving and governments, yeah, won't, governments so. won't be able to get away with with making cuts to public sector pay anymore. For example, they, they won't be able to get away with yeah. it politically because yeah, people will really say funny.
1: it's really funny. All the small government, all the small government politicians are suddenly. Really, realizing that you actually do need some big government action in in yeah. uh, society at times to keep things yeah. uh, afloat and to keep keep things going, and you know, making decisions that benefit a very small percentage at the expense of the larger common good. Um, I think that's been exposed for the fallacy and the mm. insidious thing that it is. And that's not a right or left position. I, I, I think. Just a, a rational examination of what's going on tells yeah. you that something's not something's not right, and this this pandemic in some ways has revealed the unrightness of a lot of the decisions that we kind of accepted and made collectively, you know, um, in the name of profit or progress um, at the expense of um, very real human life. And then you have, you know, people in positions of power who now find themselves having to desperately try and support organizations like the NHS that they just spent a decade um, actually trying to dismantle in their own way. So um, hopefully they do learn those lessons. You'd like to think so.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Um, Without getting too political. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not a political broadcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't talk about party politics on this podcast. Um, no, of course not. I uh, never would. Um, I think, as well, one thing that I've been interested in is, I think you've alluded to it already, was spiritual people's spiritual needs and how they will change during the pandemic and how this, how this could potentially impact the church going forward. And what have your kind of initial thoughts been around all of that?
2: Yeah, um, so much <laughs> to say. <laughs> yeah. So, so much to say. Because uh, there's, there's so many different categories to examine and uh, so many different issues that are really being raised right now. So uh, one issue is, you know, we see a lot of churches, and we've been talking about this for weeks now, you know, churches who haven't kind of brought themselves up to date digitally speaking and technologically speaking are scrambling to try and move everything online. And some have done, you know, an okay job and a fine job, um, which is great, but all they've done is, you know, bring their usual message or whatever, their usual programming. They've just made it online. They've just made it digital. And one thing we've been talking a lot about is um, really the need to, figure out what the new needs are that are being, um, that are arising from the pandemic and arising from this time of isolation and COVID. Um, and I'm not sure, we're not sure how well that's being done. Not that it's not being done anywhere, but, um, we're just trying to figure out like what the overall trends are because we see a lot of churches trying to continue on with their business as usual, but they've just moved it. They've just Mm -hmm. moved the platform. Um, and so that's kind of one thing we've been talking about. Um, but it's been interesting. My, my faith community that I'm a part of in Southern California, of course, they've moved everything online. And they're, they're a small community, and so it's just maybe a little bit easier for them. But um, I heard a story last week of one of our congregation members who, I, who I've actually never met because I've only been going to this um, community for a little less than two years now. And she's been homebound and she's been sick and she hasn't ever been able to really, well, she hasn't been able to make it to a Sunday service in a really long time. And the best um, church could do for her was, you know, make sure she's on the email list and making some pastoral calls and sending some cards. But now that everything has moved online, like Sunday services and midweek communion and even like Bible studies and meeting groups during the week, now she's just been set up and now she's a part of everything. She's more part of the congregation now. she's ever been before and you know i've been uh, a part of our zoom communions now every week and they've been the best communions we've had because everybody's connected everybody's looking at each other everyone's talking everyone's sharing about their week sharing about their particular drink that they're using as communion whether it's a gin and tonic or wine or water or juice or whatever it is and it's so in some sense, the, the digitality um, has connected people in some ways way more than just going to a Sunday morning, which kind of proves the suspicion mm-hmm. that um, it's been outmoded and antiquated um, for, for quite a long time. So I don't know. It's It's been, it's been interesting. I think... I well, I know that the the digital piece is definitely riv- rivaling the in person piece, and you have so many people who are like, "Oh, nothing is a substitute for presence and skin and like being together." around Yeah, well, that's fine, but there's something so artificial um, and and really unhuman and about the way we gather on Sunday morning. So I don't know what the hybrid's gonna look like, you know, when everything opens back up again.
1: Yeah, I, I think mm. for me, the the real issue is that any Debate about the legitimacy or the validity yeah. of online connectivity should really be over by now mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, you know you have a lot of people who either dismissed or critiqued the value of digitality, suddenly, uh, as Maria said, scrambling to be online to uh,
0: connect with uh, their community in, in whatever way they can.
1: And I think the lesson in that is that when available technologies appear, we should explore the potential of them um, before we desperately have to rely on them and don't know how to use them uh, effectively, you know. And instead of like, you know, it's like all the debates that go on through the history of the church. I mean, I think churches still debate issues over what kind of music they're going to play and um, at this stage yeah. in the game, uh, you know, kind of a redundant conversation and stuff so I, I, I think that that conversation needs to come to an end with regard to the the, the digital I think what what you get with um, digital connectivity in terms of opportunity if that's the right word it, for for the spiritual stuff is the opportunity to engage people on a much more deep and intimate level Mm -hmm. about real-world issues. You know, this is not a time for abstract... Theoretical or philosophical ideas. I don't think you know. Mm. I don't think anybody needs a, a sermon on you know the, the the truth of creation or you know <laughs> science versus faith or whatever our particular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or even grind. like the self-help. Yeah. You know, but I order. do think that there's an opportunity. Uh, and again the the congregant that that maria referenced who's been homebound and, and, and
0: essentially marginalized now is the opportunity to become a participant
1: in in the life of the community and of and she's course
2: so happy yeah. it's like over the moon
1: and of course there's there's something uh lost when when we can't be in touch with each other um, you know physically they're, 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 and that's the whole point that's why you can't actually just translate your service and put it online, because what people forget is it's not what's done at the front of the church that makes that work. It's actually those who gather and experience it. And, and the interesting thing is those studies uh, about that have been done for years before, before any of this to, to sort of let people know that the worst thing you can do is just try and broadcast a, a, a church service. It doesn't actually work that well. Um, works all right on television, actually, um, for some weird reason. But uh, in, in the digital environment, there, there's an opportunity for, for something actually more authentic and, and more, not authentic, uh, more um, direct and, and honest and real. And, and, mm. and I think also the exchange, because here we are, we're talking back and forth. You know, television is a bit like church. It's broadcast to you. you. You watch the show. Um, and um, but in the digital environment I think uh, it, it's something else something else
0: yeah and it's interesting because I, I'm part of a, a contemplative community and it's very small, there's only 20 of us it's not a typical church service in any way there's no band, there's no almost, mostly no sermon and there's a lot of discussion even when mm-hmm. we met in person so now we're doing we're doing Zoom meetings instead of a normal meeting and we're all just catching up. um, How are you kind of stuff. And then we're doing the service, we can do the service online um, because it's not that kind of service. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can have discussion and we can have reflection and talk to each other and engage with each other and do almost the same thing that we were doing before. Um, yeah. It's not really because of the type of service it it was. Uh, it was it was completely different. And another thing I've been trying as well is um, a twelve step spirituality group, uh, yeah. um, which meets online once a week, and it's very much come and just tell your story. Um, yeah. There's no sermon almost at all. It's it's just and everyone just shares their story. And again, there's affirmation encouragement. And support, and it's small and uh, intimate, and yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I couldn't. I mean, I've been out of traditional church for quite a while anyway, but I don't yeah. think I. I think I'd find it very difficult to engage with that kind of thing online because it just doesn't. It never really. Yeah. It doesn't really work, like you're saying. It doesn't really work in in that, in that context. Yeah,
1: there's. I think there are some really interesting examples because you know the the church is not the only organization that's affected by all of this. I mean, mm. you know, um, it's 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 everything. And particularly, like, the creative industry, and particularly the music industry, you know, which is dependent upon people going to, like, live shows and stuff like that. And I found it quite interesting um, on Instagram Live. There are lots of um, quite well-known musicians who are doing um, not concerts, really, but those sort of they, they kind of came out of the gate with some of that you know like a doing a full-on presentation thing but but what seems to have um connected with people and and, and has some legs is a kind of much more um relaxed relational conversational um dialogue with people that allows for um a, a, um, an exchange of awareness about each other that the more formal experience is done. That's not to dismiss the the formality. No? I mean, unlike you, I, I'm not really um, around and haven't been around much sort of organised religious experience for for a while now, and um, that I, I sort of moved away from that for a, a long time ago. Um, but I do respect people's desire for. Particular ritualizings of their life and stuff mm-hmm. like that and I'm not saying that that has no place in, in our world I just think that, that what we're discovering is it needs to be part of the experience and not all of the experience and mm-hmm. I know that's difficult for churches that have buildings and, and all of those things attached to it because it, it needs to be resourced and all of those those things. So I know these aren't easy decisions or choices to make. But there is opportunity to not just use this digital moment as a momentary thing, but to think about
0: now. And this is one of the things that we try to do in our work is to think
1: now about later (laughs) and um, in what ways this can enhance and enrich and enlarge um, what we might be doing um, already in, in, in the, the areas where we're more familiar and more more comfortable, but I think the uncomfortability of the digital moment is what's the most exciting and most interesting um, for churches if they can just uh, go with that. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I think I, I think it's very difficult when when you're in a position of some authority or leadership and you sort of. Uh, lose a little bit of control. You know, you got the Archbishop of Canterbury giving an Easter sermon from his kitchen, you know, with, <laughs> and, you know, trying to wear his robes and, uh, you know, with the coffee maker behind him and stuff. And, and you can feel like quite vulnerable. But that's exactly the point, I think, um, is here's the opportunity to kind of bring together um, not only ideas, but humanity in, in, in a very honest way.
0: I absolutely agree with that. I think, I mean, I've got a friend who's a, a musician and who's been doing exactly what you talk about. He's been doing, twice a day, he's been doing live acoustic sessions on social media, but very interactive, engaging with everyone who's there, talking to them, asking how they're doing, getting requests. You know, it's been very kind of a authentic, interactive experience rather than just like i'm going to play my music uh and that was really beneficial for me actually uh and i think there's yeah and i think it's really interesting i I, i've sensed uh, i've sensed this kind of spiritual shift going on underneath the surface for quite a while before this happened i think this has just ramped it up and amplified it uh and brought it to the surface in a way Something that was already yeah. kind of bubbling under the surface, um, and now is going to be kind of ramped up. I mean, I, I mean, yeah.
2: almost I speeded mean, it up I, and
0: yeah. brought to collective consciousness.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people um, who haven't been participating um, in institutional religious experiences for a long time. This is nothing new for them. This is where they've actually been living. What's different at the moment mm. is churches are suddenly discovering that there's a whole world of uh, people um, who actually are very familiar and very comfortable with the digital platforms as a very real means of uh, discovering and expressing their interests in everything, including things like spirituality and religion and stuff like that. And it's another one of those moments where I think if we're going to sort of put the microscope on the church, which is a very broad, generalizing statement, yes. but if we're, if we're going to speak in generalities for a moment, it's a, 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 a sort of, well, welcome to the actual real world right. for much of Western Christianity right mm. now. This is where the, This is where the action really, really has been going on in the realm of spirituality, for fifteen or twenty years, as far as I can, as far as I can say.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree completely with everything you've been saying. You know, um, and it's interesting. There was somebody wrote a book a while back that every time there's a new major technology invented, there's a big shift. Yeah, culturally and spiritually, uh, and of course we had the internet twenty years ago, uh, or just over twenty years ago and the digital age you know which was a huge shift it um, was one of the biggest shifts we've had and and we're still seeing the consequences of that and actually what we're seeing now is the benefits of that becoming much more apparent yeah because we're much more yeah. reliant on that now than we were before i mean we were, we were quite dependent on it already but we're now really completely reliant on it. You know, if the internet went down completely, that would, yeah. that would be you know, a complete nightmare. Um, <laughs> we'd have no way to connect with each other whatsoever, really. Uh, and so it's really interesting to see that shift happening, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Marshall McLuhan, the cultural theorist, said that
1: um, every technology is like a brain frame, and it reframes your brain. And uh, so mm. it shifts your the way you see yourself, the way you see others, and the way you see um, the world the world around you. And I think we've underestimated the um, the impact of digitality. I think because we've grown up with so much progressive technology in in our lifetime mm. that we saw the onset of the digital world as simply an addition to television and the telephone and all of those things. And uh, and it's not; it's something other, other than that. And, and I think we've, from a from a religious perspective, always underestimated the impact of the cultural shifts that came mm. with the digital world. You know, Karen Armstrong said that whenever societies um, undergo ideological and technological shifts, it completely changes the way they think about themselves and the way they think about the divine. Mm-hmm. And I think that. Yeah. I think that's a true statement, and, and, and I yeah. think we're sort of being invited into that um, thinking all the time. But,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do. And I mean, I think for a lot of years, you know, everything has been so binary for church and binary for, you know, most kind of traditional notions of Christians and Christianity. And so there's been this kind of, especially in more conservative sects of Christianity, there's been like this waging of war against culture. And then there's been this waging of war against technology. It's been like, this is good and this is bad. You know, meeting together is good and not meeting together is bad. Or, you know, physical presence is good and social media and all of this other stuff is bad. And um, I think kind of Barry was alluding to this earlier. It's it's definitely a both and. Um, mm-hmm. And technology is something that, I mean, and we've been passionate about this for a while because we do a lot of teaching on, you know, the intersections of theology and technology, especially Barry. And, um, you know, it's this thing to be invited in, <laughs> to make friends with, and to give it its proper place in life. Like, it's not going anywhere. If anything, it makes things easier for us. But like everything, as Christians, and as even if you're not a Christian, not a person of faith, as a human, you know, we have a responsibility to approach anything, including technology and digitality, with an ethic and a mm-hmm. thoughtfulness. And if you're a Christian, a faithfulness. You know, to what you believe um, it means to be truly and deeply human in terms of, you know, following the imperatives of of the New Testament. So, it's nothing is binary anymore. Nothing is either or anymore. And so, it's just interesting. I think we've kind of started off, so we've kind of come full circle here. You know, church is trying to really hold it on blame technology and digitality because they haven't seen it as a completely good thing, and, and then they had no choice. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Desperate times. Yeah. Desperate measures.
0: Yeah. 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 It's interesting how you know desperate times <laughs> kind of tend to unravel the truth. You know the, the, suddenly so, the truth begins to get exposed. Um yeah. And it's actually I I, was, I wrote a piece um, just at the beginning of this outbreak, and it was about you know, the word apocalypse. And I realised that all the word, the meaning of the word apocalypse, was, was was like an unraveling of things which have not yet been seen and which could not be seen apart from this set of circumstances. And it's interesting, it seems like we're having a bit of an unraveling, and we're seeing a lot of truths sure. about each other. We're seeing a lot of truths about who's really important in our, in our society, like we mentioned before. And there's probably lots of other things that will come to light as well as a result of what's happening and we're seeing the importance yeah. of the di- of, of the digital realm in terms of spiritual community for one thing and in a lot of other ways as we've talked yeah, about
2: absolutely you know we do these things on Inst- Well, we have like a few things happening on instagram live every week but one of the things we do on wednesdays um we call it the quarantine sessions and every week we have a different conversation partner with something extremely practical that we think the church needs to be paying attention to just during this time kind of pandemic and um, our Was it our first one that we did? Yeah, our first one that we did a couple weeks ago, um, we did with a guy named Luke Bricker, who we work with out of Southern California, and he hosts the um, Spiritual Nomad platform, uh, social media platform. And so we were talking to him all about, you know, what do you find, uh, what are you finding that the needs are? Uh, even in, like, the social media realm. Like, what are people needing spiritually from social media right now? That's a thing, and it's a real thing, and some people might laugh at that or scoff at that or think that's ridiculous, but, again, that's one of the main mediums that we have right now to communicate. And so, you know, because a lot of um, pastors or church leaders or just churches in general might use their social media platforms to just, like, pump out announcements about something or, you know, hey, attend this there or some graphic here or whatever. Um, but it actually is a communication tool now. And so what, how can we resource and equip pastors and leaders to use social media in order for spiritual transformation right, right now during pandemic? Like these are the kind of questions we have to ask. And this is why it's so much more than just about throwing stuff online. There's a lot of noise out there right now. There's a lot of stuff being thrown out there digitally speaking. And so we're just kind of wondering. Um, you know, if, if what's being thrown out is um, is actually, you know, really, really meeting needs.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> this has been a really interesting discussion, I think. Uh, and a really <laughs> important... <laughs> <laughs> a really important one, I think. I, there's so much.
2: That is uh, really interesting.
0: <laughs> no, there's been so much in there that we can we can go into further, really, that if we wanted to.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people to reflect on, right now, and a lot of these questions will come up more as time goes on, and mm-hmm. we move through the worst of it, and we start to come out the other side. These questions well, will just,
2: become. Sorry, I didn't mean to try I just let's just make it even like more funny, you know, in terms of just the <laughs> vast, you know, array of stuff we've thrown out and talked about. This this pandemic uh, is is affecting everything. And again, I I'm really passionate about being a person of faith that's holistic and that's approaching life with an ethic that is dynamic, that's constantly being reevaluated. You mm. know, in light of our context and our social locations and surroundings, and so some of the other Instagram live stuff we do, um, I've been posting these talks that I've called Viral Feminism, and I do them twice a week. And last week, I talked about, um, uh, what did I talk about? I talked about philanthropic porn uh, in the age of pandemic. And, um, you know, again, these are issues that it's not good enough to just say, uh, oh, I don't want to engage with that topic because it's uncomfortable or it makes me feel weird or it doesn't feel, it feels sacrilegious or whatever. Um, But right now, because porn usage is so much on the rise and places like Italy have been being gifted premium porn subscriptions from platforms like Pornhub, you know, it's like sixty percent up in viewing. Well, what is this effect? Um, it's actually having a huge effect on revenge porn, which is a crime, which is illegal, which is fairly rampant on on various platforms. And you know, so again. Uh, and this affects women and girls tremendously. And obviously, the web we all know is clearly not a safe place for women and girls yet. So again, as Christians, engaging a pandemic, engaging life in its full spectrum, <laughs> you know, having to pay attention to this domino effect that things like a pandemic have on society globally um, is is huge. So. Yeah, just
0: yeah. one other thing to throw out there. No, I think it, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, just a little thing to throw out there. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, like this affects everything. We're gonna almost—it's almost like we're gonna have to reimagine every area of culture, every yeah. part of our society, every part of our daily life. We're gonna have to—we have to look at again. How does this work now? You know, yeah. how, how how do we yeah. do this now? Like, I mean, as a single person who wants to be in a relationship. Like, how am I going to date and meet somebody and build a relationship with somebody? You know, yeah. how is that when going to happen?
1: You,
0: you know, it's like, it's like okay, we can be, maybe you can meet somebody online on a dating site or something. And can, but you've, you've still got to have a relationship. You need to meet people in person. You need to, you know, all well, that kind the, of thing. So like how do we navigate thing. that? We, yeah, yeah, we were talking about this. So Barry and
2: I are both single. And both of us have never used dating apps ever. Um, but lately in our Instagram fees and in our social media, like the sponsor fees and like the recommending fees, especially me, I don't know a little bit you, but especially me, I'm getting all of these recommendations for dating apps. And I'm like, what is going on? What, is, what about my algorithm is, is saying, you know, advertise this to me? But the funny thing is, as I'm looking at all of these, like, advertisements and these dating apps and stuff, their big hook is meet people online. Like, it doesn't matter that coronavirus is happening. You can go for a date at 9 o'clock in the morning at your kitchen table. Like, this is the rhetoric that they're using. It's crazy. So mm. it's like... People get that the dating apps get that people are single. The dating apps are assessing the need very quickly and doing what they can to fulfill the need. And we just want to see churches doing the same thing that the dating apps. <laughs> Do
0: yeah, know? and it's right. Yeah,
2: <laughs> assessing the need and, and making an offer.
0: Yeah, I, it's so true, isn't it? It's so true how that area of our life seems to be ahead of the curve all the time. Like, I mean, like isn't it? Porn sites who invented ways to pay online with your car credit card they invented those yeah. right sure. um you know it's it's really it's quite funny really but it, yeah. but i mean yeah i mean like, i mean who's to think like okay maybe dating sites will start to set up zoom calls for dates with people
2: that's because exactly that's, what they're doing it's like yeah. a concert service
0: yeah exactly so it's going to be yeah. it's going to become that's going to become more accepted because with social distancing you know you're going to have to Uh, you're going to have to date. If you want to go on a date, you're going to have to do that for a while anyway. Um, I mean, there will be a point where you can meet people in person, but it, uh, you
2: know, I mean, millions of people are doing online dates right now. Forget about online dating. It's online dates. I mean, I have a girlfriend who's on Bumble and she's doing like two or three dates a week on FaceTime. I'm like, you go. Yeah. Really?
0: Wow. (laughs) That's so funny. So, you
2: know,
0: I tried Bumble again, but I just can't be bothered. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect everything. And But it's a, I mean, in that sense, there's an opportunity, isn't there, to imagine what the world can be and what we can make the world and what we, how we can use technology, like you're talking about, to to its, to its, to its fullest extent, to benefit everybody. Very much And in particular, you know, we're talking about spiritual community, and um, I mean, I've had I've had therapy with my I've I've had therapy digitally since this started. You know, uh, and that works. Therapists are already adapting to it, and that's been really helpful for people. Now, that could have happened before easily, but I think
2: it was in some arenas.
0: It was, yeah, it was, but but it's again, it's been kind of up now people are doing yeah. it more, yeah. more 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 often uh, almost exclusively yeah. Yeah. at the moment but yeah so that it's gonna it's gonna change everything um it's gonna be interesting yeah. to see what happens and how it all works out so yeah. um so just a couple of just final like a final thought from each of you i mean this is a, a great hour a really great conversation i think um What's kind of one one thing that you're reflecting on that you think people need to hear right now, and that that we can do right now in terms of all the shifts that are happening and all the things that we're going through together?
2: Yeah,
0: great question. Moving <laughs> in the dumb
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult to kind of reduce it down to one thing, but I, but I, so I'm, I'm actually going to give it say so two two kind of interrelated things. Mm-hmm. One, oh, I, yeah. I, I think we have to be kind to ourselves mm-hmm. and not put ourselves under any further pressure to be or do anything other than we are um, in terms of. Uh, at any given moment, I think we have to sort of yeah. recognize that this is a very unique situation. Um, I, I'm not sure that historically we've ever gone through anything like like this mm-hmm. in this way. I mean, you yeah. know, they, they make the connections to the war and stuff like that. But even in the Second World War, people could still go out to restaurants and cinemas and see each other and be with each other. I mean, this kind of isolation thing is very taxing and, and very... Uh, difficult on on lots of levels for for everybody, and we all handle it uh, in different ways. So so I think sort of being kind to ourselves is um, of prime importance. On the other side of the equation, I think this situation is a reminder that life is beyond our control and Mm. things happen that are unpredictable because life is actually unpredictable, and all of our best Efforts to control it really are exposed for what they are in in, in a time like this. They're just efforts to control. And maybe there's an invitation in this to learn to accept the unpredictability of of life, actually as part and parcel of what it means to be human, and to learn to live a little more loosely within the confines of existence.
0: Mm. blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean I would I would echo all of those sentiments. Um, I think for me, I haven't been doing uh, outside of the work we do, which is pretty intertwined with our own lives as well. Um, I actually haven't done a lot of reflecting for the collective. And for the community. Uh, the reflection time I've sort of engaged in has been for myself mm. and for my own life. And it's been painful and it's been helpful. It's made me tired. It's produced anxiety and also peace at times. And I find that the byproduct or some of the byproducts of the reflection. Um, unusual, but welcome. (laughs) Um, So I think my advice um, for people would be, if you have the time and space, to do some personal reflection. Um, Even if it means weeks of thinking with low output, if that is even a luxury you have to do it, to take it. Um, Because there will be a time where things do open back up, and even though it won't quite be the, the... old normal, it'll definitely be a new normal um, there will be a time where our lives keep back into gear and so if you have any time and space to do any kind of reflecting and thinking during this time to, to do so
0: That's brilliant I agree with all of that I really echo all of that I think um, that's really really true Well thank you both for um, coming on the show really appreciate yeah, it
2: And sorry, James, I don't mean to cut you off, but if we could also just say, um, in the next three weeks, we're launching um, our 12-week course. Um, Mm -hmm. We had to put it on hold when the pandemic started, and we've decided to actually choose a new start date for it, which is going to be the first week of May, Um, and we just want to invite anybody who's interested. uh, We call it the Field Guide for the Future, Theology, Design, and Innovation, and it really kind of spans... Um, the, I, the the questions and the ideas of what is spiritual innovation, what does imagination and reconfiguration look like within Christianity in the 21st century. We go across culture, religious landscapes, technology, economy, and we do a, a really good introduction. Um, and by really good introduction, I mean we spend four to 12 weeks on human-centered design or design thinking, which is a methodology um, that starts with the human experience when trying to create something new. So really a fabulous tool for churches during this time. So um, we would love to encourage people to head to our website, Cogroup.com to learn more about that. And if you want to talk with Barry and I specifically, and um, you have some questions about what we do or how you can be a part of what we do, there are links on our website to set up some time for video chat. Nice
0: fantastic <laughs> that is fantastic yeah and I hope I would encourage people to do that as well um,
2: thank
0: you yeah um, Barry and Maria produce some great content they check out their Instagram feed as well there's some great stuff on there um, I, yeah. would, I would recommend that um, so uh, yeah um, thanks for coming on the show thanks well, uh, for
2: having us
0: and thanks for washing hands <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes everyone wash your hands take care of yourselves and stay safe